You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello and welcome. This is one of our podcasts in the series of discussions with positive influencers. And when I was asked to do this, I couldn't think of anyone in my life who is more of a positive influence than David Blackburn. So welcome, David. Uh, Emma, lovely to join you. Thank you. Now, David is currently the Chief People Officer at the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. And I know that you've been there for about eight years, although we've been in our each other's lives for considerably longer than that. And I know that David makes an enormous difference wherever he goes. So I think it's a really great opportunity to pick up some ideas and um, tips on positive change in the workplace and to culture from one of the experts. So going back to the to the starting point at FSCS eight and a half years ago and looking at it now, what changes has the FSCS made? And then we'll look at the, what changes you've personally made to the culture there. So as an organisation in the last eight and a half years, and I want to be clear, I'm not personally responsible for all of those changes. We have been on a massive transformational journey. And I think the the unlocker for that is the re- the idea of putting the customer at the centre of what we're trying to achieve. So yes, we operate in a complex uh, matrix of different stakeholders. So the industry who pay the levy and pay for our existence and enable the compensation to be paid, the regulators who set our rules and the framework in which we operate, but also our customers and recognising that we wanted to deliver outstanding customer experience. So not simply being a regulatory body who uh, under the Financial Services Markets Act has to pay compensation saying that both for consumers and customers, we want them to understand our services and for that journey to be as good as it possibly can be for them. And I think uh, in changing that focus, we then recognised a whole host of things need to change. So firstly, uh, you need to be able to make a claim online. When I joined in 2013, uh, we used to send our customers a 68-page paper form to complete that we needed to improve the turnaround time for claims handling that we needed to stay in better contact with our customers during that journey so that once you'd submitted a claim, we understood the moments that matter for our customers, that we needed to invest in technology in order to enable that. And, you know, most recently, as an organisation, we needed to fully embrace the benefits that flexible working offers the organisation. So... All of those things mean that we're delivering. Last year, despite the challenges of the pandemic, the FSCS delivered its best ever business performance. We processed the most claims we've processed since our launch in 2001. And in June of this year, our customer satisfaction reached 89%, which is the highest it's ever been since the scheme was launched in 2001. Which is just phenomenal. And I happen to know that it matches the 89% of your staff who now think that FSCS is a positive and healthy place to work, which is 
also extraordinary. So what changes did you make in charge of the people function to get to that sort of level of enjoyment of life from your own staff? <laughs> I think that the first question that I asked when I joined the organisation is I met all of the line managers in the business and I went and spent time uh, with every team and I said, you know, if you're thinking about the culture of this organisation, what things are enablers? You know, what things help you to get things done? And equally, I asked, and the opposite side, you know, what are the things that stop you getting things done? What makes it difficult? What are the blockers? Because it's only by understanding those things that we can sort of define what we think we want the culture of the organization to be. And also, I said, you know, in the $64,000 question, if you were the new head of HR, as I was uh, then, you know, where, where would you start? You know, what would you focus on? And what was really interesting was that the absolute strongest common thread, the one really positive thing, Yes, the one really positive thing was people's connection to the social purpose. So people were massive, mass, people are massively committed to doing the right thing and to delivering the right outcome. And we say at the FSCS, this is an organisation that makes a difference and in which you can make a difference. So that was hugely positive. Almost everything else was a blocker. And so really interestingly, I had to think about how we were going to present this to the board. When we did, we did lots of focus groups and, you know, we looked at the values, we looked at the strategy or at that point, you know, the lack thereof, because the scheme was very focused on its annual deliverable and not really about setting a direction into the future. Or, you know, so when you asked people the question, uh, in 2013, how would you describe would you describe the culture as a positive and healthy one? So you've referenced the number today. It's 89 percent. It was 43 percent. So less than half of the organisation thought that it was a, it was a you know in, a, an enjoyable place. When you're trying to understand why that was, a lot of it I think was to do was there was no clear direction into the future. So actually, when people are saying, well, where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? They didn't know because we hadn't told them. So I went to the board and said, okay, social purpose, hurrah, this is really good. Um, we need to define some cultural priorities. So actually, I took all of those unhelpful observations, the blockers. So we're very inward looking and we think all the answers are inside the organisation. Uh, teams work in silos and they don't collaborate with each other people don't live our values and we don't do anything about it uh, and we don't think that the you know there's there's stuff to learn outside of the organization so how do we turn those things so i turned those things into positive statements which is given that we're talking about being positive uh today emma i said let's turn them into positive so i said okay we want the culture to be outward looking we want the culture to be extrovert. Now, I don't mean extrovert in the way I'm extrovert, because I recognise that not everybody can be like that, but actually that we see that there is best practice happening outside and that we can learn from others. And we don't think that we we are the experts. We are experts in many things. I was very often told, but the FSS is unique, David, 
And the FSES is unique in that it is the UK's compensation service. There is only us. But that is where our uniqueness ends. We pay compensation to customers. We give advice uh, to consumers, like lots of different organisations. So there's lots of best practice to learn from. So cultural priority number one, outward looking. Secondly, that we challenge people who don't live our values, that we call that out, that we and say... And it's really interesting that, you know, that people were saying the positive thing was that they had social values and yet they were calling out people, they were calling out the organisation for not making sure that people live those values. Exactly. So there's a real disparity there. So how, how did you address that? So partly one of the first things that we did was that there was a disconnect. It's really interesting about challenging the values and, and living them. There was a disconnect in the organisation between the organisational values and the sense of people's lived experience. And our chief executive at the time, Mark Neal, said, I don't understand why people aren't connected to them. Now, the simple answer, as I soon uncovered, was that they'd been created by some consultants and stuck on some mugs without any um, consultation or involvement with the people in the organisation. So when people are saying, well, these don't feel like my values are all organisational values. So we ran a series of focus groups over the course of a week where we asked a lot of these questions, these same cultural questions. And what was really interesting is that the values that emerged from those conversations, which we've had in place since 2017, accountability, collaboration and challenge, came out of those discussions. So people were saying, I want to be able to hold other people to account, but also I want to be given accountability to make changes, to make decisions, to be trusted to drive things forward. I want to collaborate, I want to challenge other people and myself, I want to be able to challenge ideas, challenge the status quo, but to do that in such a way that when we alight on an outcome, that we then collaborate to make deliver it successfully. And really interestingly, um, Emma, last year during the lockdown, we asked the organisation, I was a bit worried, I thought all oh, these values are now four years old, maybe the, you know, the organisation culture moved on. And actually what we found in, in reconnecting with people was that people said they could still really resonate, you know, perhaps even more, and particularly accountability. People feel yeah. very strong sense of, you know, I want to, and that I think has also been a cultural shift because to start with, I think it was predominantly, I want to hold others to account. <laughs> I want to tell you, you haven't done something. Now I think it is that there's a really strong sense, and again, linked to this social purpose, which was always, yeah. I want to be held accountable for doing my best work and be given the, you know, the opportunity to do that. Looking at it from a positive influencer point of view, if you're giving tips and ideas to other organisations who are listening to this podcast, how would you go about putting those building blocks in place of culture and values? I think the first thing is you've got to define so often. So um, culture was uh, was not on chief executives' radar screen ten years ago, fifteen years ago. I don't think many. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a word that was used as often. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Ago, was, it? was it? You know. And I think. And I think that the. And then there was this sort of realization that you know culture was important. And so most CEOs, you know, rushed to their, you know, their chief people officers or their HR directors and said, you know, what are we doing about the culture 
or my most dreaded phrase, what we need is a culture change initiative. You definitely don't need a culture change initiative. That's absolutely one of my uh, top tips. That's not the place to start. The place to start is you have to define, first of all, you have to define what it is you want the culture to be. And I think that the way in which you do that is by understanding what your culture is right now. So what is the as is? What is the lived experience? You know, I used to ask the, you know, I've shared some of the questions. Why is it so difficult to get things done? It's one of the questions I used to ask a lot. Why is it, this is so hard? Why is this? Why does it feel like we're all expanding a huge amount of effort in order to move things a very small distance? There is something about the culture because culture, my definition of culture is that it's everything. It's the furniture that we sit on. It's the color we paint the walls. It's the processes that we use. It's the hot levels of layers in the hierarchy. It's the sign offs. You know, everything is an indicator of is your culture built on high trust or is it low trust? So my second observation is that also a really important question to ask. We started, I heard uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, uh, the author of The Speed of Trust, speak uh, at a conference in London in 2013. And it was the first ever UK conference devoted to the subject of trust in its entirety. And um, Stephen M. R. Covey spoke for three hours. To start with, Emma, I thought it was a mistake on the agenda because I thought this man cannot speak for three hours. It's absolutely impossible. But he did speak for three hours. And um, I'd been at the FSS for about six months and I had a bit of a road to Damascus moment. I wanted to run down the aisle and say, Stephen, Stephen, you are describing the FSCS. Um, but what he, what he talks about is saying, you know, in low trust organisations, there are there is more bureaucracy, there is more checking, there is more. Here's a lovely phrase he talks about snoopervising. There's lots of snoopervising going on. It's it it's it's consultative, but not in a good way because it nothing ever happens because you have to have 48 people agree something. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it slows everything down. And slower means higher cost, whereas actually in high trust cultures. We trust, and it's interesting that um, over the course of the last 18 months, we've just had to trust people to get on with it. Well, I'm going to ask you that question, actually, because I know that you moved to a flexible working arrangement in terms of place some years ago. And, you know, you were, you're one of the pioneers, really. And now, of course, so many people are moving to a hybrid working arrangement, which means that you have to trust people more because you can't see them half the time assuming you go back to work half the time. So I was wondering what sort of tips you would have about managing that change. And I think you've put your finger on it. Actually, the, the starting point is if you want people to be accountable for what they do, you have to trust them to get on with it. Yes. Yeah. And I and um, I've spoken a lot, as you know, I mean, I've spoken yeah. a lot about this, um, this topic. I think that the necessity is the mother of invention as they say and so you know 18 in march 2020 we all suddenly had to launch into this you know flexible working hybrid um experiment and we were fortunate at the fscs that every job has been fully flexible that's been our approach for the last two and a half years so we'd already made those changes we'd already invested in the technology to enable to make it happen 
And then what I noticed was happening was that the dialogue suddenly shifted from, so we can't say that flexible working doesn't work because we're all doing it. Now we've yeah. got to say, oh God, hybrid working is so complicated and so difficult and it's never going to work with people in the office and, and, and some people at home. The principles are exactly the same. And I think you just have to, you know, we have co-created our approach by engaging with our organization, seeking their feedback and creating a model that says, we will give you a framework. We will give, we have smarter working principles that say, we've got rid of core hours. Our working day is seven till seven based on the day hours that the office building is open. Now that doesn't mean that we want you, we're expecting you to work seven to seven. We've been very, very clear about that because actually how you shape your day is entirely down, is down to you. If you want to start early and then take two hours at lunchtime to go to the gym or you want your, you have child care responsibilities or you're uh, looking after elderly parents or caring responsibilities, or indeed, as I've said, as my team well know, you want to have a nap in the afternoon, because I've often done that, you can do that within that framework. And, you know, because what we measure is outcomes. What we measure is what you are delivering. And I think that, again, we've made that shift two, three years ago in terms of our performance management, quarterly, iterative, agile priorities. So culturally, the organization was already more attuned to this idea that it's not about me being visible. It's not about me just sitting at a desk and being seen. Actually, I am measured on what I am delivering and that's how I'll be measured. And I think, again, because we'd had so many conversations about trust, we said our job as HR professionals is to enable and facilitate the organization's adoption embedding of smarter working so we'll come up with the ideas we'll come up with the smarter working principles our 40 40 rule 40 percent of our colleagues on average in the building 40 percent of the time now how you decide to spend that 40 percent in your working month is down to you you want to do it in one big chunk you can you want to do two days in the office you can you want to do one week on one week off you can and i think that but you have to implicit in that as you say emma is you've got to trust people yeah you know, you've got to trust people. So yes, we've got a rotor tool. And yes, I can monitor how many bums there are on seats. And I can do all of all of that stuff. But that isn't my starting point. My starting point is, and I will be presenting the first month's data. So we reopened our office five days a week at the beginning of September. And, you know, we've welcomed back more than 200 colleagues um, into the building. And only today I spoke to four people I've not seen since March 2020. Yeah, so, so it's working well. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. I think, Emma, that the the mistake that organisations are making is that they either they see these things as a binary choice when we know that it's actually a much more nuanced mm -hmm. spectrum or also that they've got to come up with the answer. You know, yeah. I think what we're saying is here are some principles and these principles might change. And I have committed to go back to our board in January of 2022 to say, this is what the, this is the lived experience in this last quarter. This is what the data is telling us about how people are using our building, using our floor plate. And we might change it. We might say, actually, you don't need to be in the office as much or more. Or I don't know what the answer is, but I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, we've been very clear. This is a journey and we'll learn as we do it. Yeah. So but the starting point is trust. And that trust. 
And that's your top tip, really, for the move to hybrid working. Yes. And I think, you know, understanding there's loads of great work around in, you know, understanding what that means in your own culture, in your organisation, you know, which might help you unpick and build it. People thought I was crazy when I started talking about it in uh, 2014. They're like, what on earth is he going on about this for? And what's really interesting is that our response to the pandemic and the evolution of our approach to smarter working wouldn't have happened if we hadn't have invested the time in building the culture that we've built. Yeah, which says says volumes, really. And I know, David, you also take time to positively influence outside the FSCS. I know you've done masses on diversity over the years. But what are your tips there for someone who wants to make a difference in terms of you know, moving things on and shaking things up in the world, in the in the workplace. So that's very lovely of you to uh, say. Uh, and I've, I've lost count of how many people I've mentored through both the business in the community, um, BAME Mentoring Circles programme, and also more recently through the, the CIPD. Um, I think that recognizing i'm in a very privileged position in that you know i've i've been doing this for more than uh, 20 years and so you've acquired such an immense you know you just by osmosis I mean, you acquire an immense amount of knowledge and there's very little in practical terms that you haven't done in the you know the you know so redundancy reorganize you mean you name it you've you've done it on your leadership journey and so just i mentoring is such an incredible opportunity to share that wisdom mm. to help other people overcome obstacles to build confidence to support and encourage you know the future generation of leaders not just in hr but you know in business more broadly i think it's a great way to to make a difference but i also think that if you you want to shake things up you know, you have to stick your head above the, the parapet and you have to, you know, you actively have to get involved, whether that be, you know, as you know, you know, I've been a trustee of, of charities and I've sat on boards and I've done um, and volunteered my time to do that, to give practical advice to uh, startup organisations. But equally within your own, prof- you know, within my own profession, you know, I feel quite strongly that, you know, you have to, you know, we have to challenge ourselves to be better and to respond to challenges. And I'm the first person to say, often we say, oh, don't you think HR is part of the problem? And I'm the first person to say, yes, I think it is, you know, in some organisations. I don't, you know, and I think that being honest about the, you know, at talking straight as, you know, is a, is a behaviour that I think builds trust. Yeah. And and lastly, I think, um, you know, not, I know it's, it's, it's a slight, it's a cliched observation, but I'm going to make it anyway. Um, is you know I don't ask anything anybody to do anything that I'm not prepared to do myself. You know I I absolutely think as a leader, leading by example is is one of the things that makes the most difference. Yeah, we probably need another half an hour to talk about strong leadership <laughs> and positive positively influencing people from that position because I think there's a lot there. But I've got one more question, which is something I've always learned from you, David, is that is the value of an award, and David is one of the most lauded. HR professionals in the country I mean I know you've got lots of awards but I saw that last week you were shortlisted people team of the year by the investors and people awards yes that's the latest one 
Yes, oh. that's the latest one. But what I've well, noticed, actually, been, what well, I've actually no, there's, no, there's one today, actually, Emma. I'm sorry. <laughs> so very hot <laughs> off the press. Uh, we've been shortlisted as Employer of the Year in the Women in Finance Awards. That's incredible. Uh, so we found out about that today. But I know from from your explaining to me, you know, the value of this to the teams that are, you know, nominated and then win awards is is actually fantastic. People really appreciate it. It's an enormous pat on the back. And it's uh, it's fantastic. So I was going to ask you, out of all of your accolades, which is the one that you are most proud of? Oh, now that is a that's a very a good question. question. Very good question. The one I am most proud of is being made a chartered companion of the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, because that is so you can become a member and you can become a fellow. You can upgrade your membership to become a uh, fellow and the chartered companionship is relatively new it's uh this is year three uh since it was introduced and chartered companions are decided by the board of the cipd and there are just over 157,000 members of the cipd and including last year there were only 26 of us chartered companions they've now added another 13 so there's now 39 of us but that means massive amounts to me. Um, I'm sure. That, yeah, that's of all of, of everything because well, it's from my, within my own profession. Exactly, and to be recognised by your peers for all that you've achieved. And the fact that you are such a positive leader, actually, I think is really impressive. Thank you. Well, and the last thing you can say, you know, to be positive, you ought to have fun. You know, we have a lot of fun, Emma, don't we? I mean, that's the, lots of you know, fun. if you don't, I mean, we, you know, and you've it does. And I think life, you? you've got to enjoy it. You've got to, you know, and I, you know, I, I do, I, I slightly cliche, I, happy people are successful people. You know, I, I, I passionately love what I do every day. So that make, does make a big difference. That's a very good tip to end on. Be passionate about what you do. Well, thank you very much, David. That's a, a fantastic insight in a very short space of time about how to make a difference in your organisation. Absolutely my pleasure, Emma. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.